This is The Secret Life of a Graduate Student. I'm Lauren O'Keefer. This week, we interview Luis Valencia, current UC Berkeley grad student, and he's telling us about the qualification exam experience. How does your interest in science started? Like, do you have any memory, like, when it was obvious for you that science, that was about it, that was what you wanted to do? Yeah, I do remember that I particularly enjoyed um, going to the library with my dad and reading, you know, about the solar system. And I always had questions for my parents about plants. And I really, I realized that I wanted to get into science when I was in high school. And I had a high school teacher that really encouraged me to do a lot of experiments. And I remember I had a little garden in her room and she was teaching me how the different hormones work to make the roots in the plant. And that got me really interested in it. And she told me that uh, I should consider going into science for a career. And I think that's when it started. So where were you? Where were your school? Uh, I went to school at Westwood High School in Austin, Texas. Okay. Uh, so, are your parents like into science? Like you say, you were going to the library with your dad, but are you the first scientist of your family? I am the first one. Yeah. So my parents know my my dad is a cook and my mom works manufacturing um, exam booklets. But I think my dad and my mom always just took me out to the library. So yeah, I'm the first scientist in the family. But they're happy about it. Did you know what was science? Yeah, this teacher. This was in in high school and. I took her AP Biology class, and she was just really great. She really got us not just excited about science, but she showed us how to do experiments and what the whole what what it's like to actually be a scientist. Before then, I had no idea what scientists did, and she would explain to us that you know you would go on to your PhD, and during your PhD, you have one big question that you're really interested, and in, you put in five years, and that really got me excited about doing this. So in high school, you know that you wanted to do a PhD? Uh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Okay so, so okay, so high school, PhD, but like quite often between there is college. Mm -hmm. um, when did you know about your major? Yeah, I knew that I wanted to do something with medicine. I thought that pharmaceutical sciences were pretty interesting. And I really liked enzymes. So I started off as an undergraduate at UT Austin, and I joined this one really cool program called the Freshman Research Initiative. It's a program that encourages first-year students to start to get involved in science, and the lab that I got put into there was the perfect fit for me. I was so excited. Um, it was a lab where we uh, screened, did virtual drug screening, and I just loved it. I learned all about enzymes. I learned all about chemicals and medicine. and um, that's when I knew I wanted to keep doing biochemistry. Yeah, so it's just concretized. Yeah, I definitely thought that I wanted to get a PhD, and I always had that dream, but I realized pretty soon when I was an undergraduate that I had no idea what doing a PhD looked like, and it really was just little by little meeting graduate students or meeting people that were working in labs as undergraduates that I kind of started to learn little by little. Um, I definitely imagined it to be a little different, and I didn't know that I had to get involved into undergraduate research. I didn't know that was a thing you had to do until one of my friends told me that I should look into joining a lab. So I really benefited a lot from having a lot of friends that were also 
interested in doing science careers because I think if I hadn't spoken to him, it probably would have taken me a little longer to start research as an undergraduate. You mentioned about this program that you were in, but did you do also like other lab? Yeah, so this program, the goal of this program is to kind of teach students the fundamentals of molecular biology and the fundamentals of science so that we could be ready to go to join any faculty professor's lab right right away. And I think that's exactly what, what happened in my case. So in this program, you do get your own independent research project, and I learned how to clone, I learned how to work with proteins, but at some point I felt like I was ready to move on to a faculty lab and I contacted a bunch of different professors and there was one lab that worked with uh, natural product biosynthesis and I really I, I decided to join that lab and I really liked it and that's what I'm doing for my PhD too. So you wanted to join the faculty? Yeah so I, I started looking around I really wanted to work in a lab that did sort of a combination of chemistry and biology and I looked around my school's website and I found this one lab that really caught my eye because they had just published a paper that was titled A Double Hot Dog with a New Trick, and I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So I emailed the professor, and he sent me a huge 40-page review to read, and he said he would quiz me on it. And I remember I met up with him, and I was a little nervous, um, but he was just the nicest guy. Excuse me, how old were you at that moment? It's pretty intense. I was 20, I oh, think. My. Yeah. <laughs> I was 20, I read the whole review paper, and I went and he was uh, interviewing me and he was just super nice, super nice guy. Uh, his name's Adrian Keating Clay. Um, but he was asking me a lot of hard questions and I was able to answer them all and I just loved the lab. I remember thinking this is exactly what I want to do. And I remember at the end of the interview, he told me, okay, well, you know, you probably have some other labs you're interviewing at, so go home, think about it, interview with other professors and when you feel like you're ready to say whether or not you want to join the lab, just send me an email. And I remember thinking like, man, I wish I could just tell him right now that I want to join the lab. But I was, I went home and I waited like a couple of days because I thought maybe that was an appropriate <laughs> amount of time. And then I was like, oh, I thought about it and I want to join the lab. So when can I start? So that, that was kind of funny. And I'm actually still working with the exact same enzymes that I worked with in undergrad. So I, I really liked it a lot. So you joined his lab? I did. I joined his lab. I worked there for two years and he was a really great mentor. He's a, the type of professor that would take time out of his day to teach an undergraduate how to do um, particular experiments. So he would go, I remember he showed me how to prepare my first NMR sample, um, which I thought was really neat because not many professors take the time out of their day to do things like that with undergraduate students. How did it like fit into your courses? Yeah, it was definitely an extracurricular thing. Yeah. So I knew that if I wanted to get into grad school, I had to have some undergraduate research. And it's, it's honestly a lie. I feel I'm always very impressed by the undergraduates because they're taking, you know, five, six courses a semester. They're worrying about exams. They have to volunteer. And on top of that, they are doing undergraduate research. So. It was something extra that I would do at the end of the day. At 5 o'clock, I would show up to the lab and work there for the evening with my graduate student. So ended up becoming the main part of my day. I, it's the part that I look forward to the most. 
And so after that, this is when for you the PhD uh, starting to be like a really concrete project. Yeah, so this was this first lab that I was in was in my last two years of my undergrad. And I did do a couple of internships in some other places, but really towards the end of the two years was when I started to apply to PhD programs. The way that I decided on which PhD programs to apply to is that I looked at a lot of professors that, you know, it, it was really cool because you see all these professors that are kind of like your your idols and then all of a sudden you have the opportunity to apply to their program and meet with them and talk to them. So I just looked at all the papers that I like to read or all the, I went to a conference and I saw all the talks that I thought were fascinating and I just applied to all of those PhD programs. Wow, that was a lot. So It ended up being quite a bit. I applied to nine programs, which is on the higher side, but yeah. I just decided that I'd cast a wider net. Yeah. Um, there's always the feeling, too, when you're applying to schools like Berkeley, that you're like, oh, wow, that, that's a, that is a dream school, and that would be really cool to go to that school, but I also need to try to apply to some other schools, because that school is probably going to be really hard to get into. And then you get into it. I did, yeah. I was really excited about it. How was the process to get hired and everything? Yeah, so the, the interview process is pretty cool. I recommend anyone who's in the midst of interviews to go to every interview that you're invited to. It's a great time. You meet a whole bunch of people. They take you on parties. You get to eat food. You get to meet your scientific idols and you get to talk about cool science. Uh, that was a blast. I love the interview season. But ultimately, I came to Berkeley because I had spent a short amount of time working in the Kiesling lab, and I just remember that I loved the atmosphere and I loved the science that they were doing. And I knew that the Kiesling lab was starting to have a lot of really great ideas when it came to engineering polyketide synthesis. So I really I decided on Berkeley because I, I really loved this lab. And there were some other great labs at Berkeley, too, that are working on natural product biosynthesis. So I, I showed up to Berkeley, and I was able to pick three labs to rotate in. And, you know, you go through each rotation, and it's funny because every time you're in a rotation, you're like, wow, this lab is awesome. I would like to work in this lab. But at the end of the day, you have to pick just one lab. And a lot of people try to do joint labs. Like, they like both labs so much that they want to do a, a project that's a collaboration between two labs. but. I ended up picking the Kiesling lab because I thought it was just really a spot-on fit for what I wanted to do. So, well, it leads us to the topic of the day, uh, the qualification exam. Luis, you haven't passed your qualification exam yet, but you're about to. Let's try to see how you feel right now about that. Okay, yeah. The qualifying exam, that's the big gray cloud that looms over every second to third year's head. And it's really funny because my program does their qualifying exam particularly late. So we do it the fall semester of our third year, and many other programs do it in the spring semester of their second year. So my girlfriend, for example, already went through the whole quals fiasco, and I was there throughout the whole thing, and I saw the evolution. Uh, I saw how, like, as they got closer and closer to the date, it got more and more stressful. And then now she's a candidate, and. I remember that she had a big party after she finished, and I was just kind of jealous, like, wow, I have not even started to think <laughs> about quals. I can't believe I have to go through all of this. Uh, so now I'm starting to prepare for it, and honestly, I'm feeling pretty okay for it. It's pretty fun. It's, it's really nice to take a lot of time to read 
papers. So that's one big thing that you do when you're preparing for quals. You know that these professors might potentially grill you on a particular subject. So you really want to just read every paper about everything that has to do with your project. So I've started to read papers and it's super nice to now read papers and not feel guilty like, oh, I should be doing stuff in the lab instead of reading papers. Now I'm like, no, I'm reading papers because I have to pass quals so that I could keep doing things in the lab. So you don't feel guilty about it and that's been kind of fun. Um, and then pretty soon I'm gonna start doing my quals practices, which I also look forward to. Uh, I've been to a few quals practices for my friends and they're always really fun, especially because they typically bring food to bribe you to come to them. So you're gonna bring food for <laughs> I am, I'm gonna bring food. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna kick some homemade Colombian cheese breads because oh, people nice. always go crazy for those. So it's my way of bringing people to my quals practice. At first I was a little relaxed about it. I felt like, oh, quals, that's gonna be a piece of cake. I mean, I've been studying PKSs for so long, whatever. Um, but the more and more I started reading into it, the more I realized like, oh, wow, I have no idea how this particular enzyme works or I, I don't know anything about um, mycolic acids or the membrane of mycobacteria and I just realized I have these huge gaps in my knowledge so then I have to go back and start reading about them just just in case they ask me about it. You know people will comfort you and they'll tell you you know most people do fine in quals or you're gonna be fine those professors are fine but you always hear the horror story of that one, one or two students every year that uh, maybe they don't fail quals, but they get a conditional pass, and then they have that gray cloud looming over them for another three months. So that's always at the back of your head. And whenever you're just relaxing and not focusing on doing quals, I just can't help to think like, man, I'm probably going to get a conditional pass. So <laughs> I better start reading again. This is a torture. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or not even conditional pass. What if I just fail? So definitely... On top of it, it's a little bit like the professors that are on my committee are professors that I really respect and that also are my scientific idols. So I definitely don't want to look silly in front of them. I want to show them that I know what I'm talking about or that I'm a competent scientist. So it's really, I think it's one of the many ways that PhD gets you to try to define your like worth based on your knowledge or something like that. So I do see why it gets really stressful and why you decide that you have to start studying a lot. So how your days looks like? You say you're reading a lot of papers, but do you have for your qualification to prepare a proposal as well? Yeah, so there is a written portion to it, which I've been writing little by little. There's of course the oral portion and I've been starting to prepare like outlines for what my presentation would look like. But really the funny thing is that research kind of can't really stop completely just because you have calls. So I'm still doing experiments and I tell myself like, oh, it's okay because the more experiments I do, the more data I'll have to show at quals, which is great. But the fact of the matter is that some experiments take, you know, your whole day and you barely get any time to study or read after that. So right now my day is looking like mostly experiments and then I spend a couple of hours doing quals studying, quals preparation. But I think as I inch closer to quals, I'm going to have to put some stuff into glycerol stocks and stick it in the minus 80 so that I could really wrap up all the loose ends and get ready for the big day. It's very intense. Uh, what do you do to relax? Oh. Any advice? Yeah, it's, it's really funny actually. I feel like 
the closer I get to quals and the more time that I spend studying, the more I'm like, you know what, I need to take a break. I need to do something fun. So probably my favorite thing to do is that I'm very fortunate to be doing a PhD in sunny California. So I go and I do picnics with my girlfriend and the dog that I'm dog sitting will go to Montero Beach, which is just this beautiful beach close to Pacifica. Um, and it's just amazing to think that we live that close to such beautiful places. So I definitely try to take my time to do those fun things. I also hang out with friends a lot. I think everyone's favorite hobby to do during calls is to complain about calls and a bar is a great place to do that with the rest of your lab. So I do a lot of that. Uh, really something that I love about working in this lab is that people here really work hard but also love to to go out and have fun or they'll go and have a beer or they'll go and go to a place to dance one day or they'll have a a jam session at the at their house so it's always fun to do these things with your friends and it's a good way to get not only to get your mind off of things but make you a more productive person in general i feel like when i'm just hitting the books and hitting the lab you know like crazy amounts of hours a day no taking breaks on weekends and you really start to become a little less productive your ideas aren't as fresh um, you start to do experiments that maybe if you had thought about them a little more you wouldn't have done them and you wouldn't have or you would have designed them a little better so I really think it is valuable to take some time off. Final question to wrap up this uh, interview why did you say yes for participating and share your stories with us? I think it's really important for people to see what it's actually like behind the scenes. You know, people always picture scientists as being these people running around with lab coats. And while that is what we do most of the time, uh, there is a very human side to it. I think something really interesting that comes up is when you ask people, like, why are they, why are they passionate about science? And so many people, their answer is something along the lines of, I want to make the world a better place, or I want to find solutions for our problems today. Uh, and I think that's just... Uh, a really noble thing that a lot of scientists are excited about. And not, not only do they want to find the solution, but they're also just genuinely curious and excited about it. When I think about maybe why some of the reasons why I initially got into science, referencing back to my high school teacher from my biology class, I just remember that she told me that she had a son who was born with type 1 diabetes. And she had done her bachelor's in biology and she thought man maybe I should go back do my PhD on type 1 diabetes and whatever I can do to help push the knowledge about how to treat this disease or how to cure it a little further would be great for me and then she told us that she decided instead that she would become an AP biology teacher because she felt that that way she could maybe make a larger impact so maybe that way she could convince more people to get into science, to get excited about science. And that's honestly something that, that I think about all the time. You know, I don't exactly work with type 1 diabetes, but I always think about how I want to try to find solutions for people like my teacher. I think that in this podcast, it's great to hear about the human side of science because maybe it'll inspire some future scientists. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, Megan is interviewing Izini Achinivu, and you can find all of our episodes on our Google website, The Secret Life of a Grad Student. Bye-bye.